the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the show, friends and neighbors. As you can tell from the background music playing gently behind us, uh, we are Texas bound in today's episode. I'm Ben. He's loping along on our our ponies. Uh, Get along, little doggies. All that stuff. I'm Noel. um, And we're riding on the range today. We are. We're riding uh, around the great American West. Mm. Points north and south. Uh, we are joined in spirit uh, with our super producer Casey Pegram, who is still away in France. Man, I bet he's living it up. <laughs> you, you know, and no, I know he is, or at least doing Casey's version of living it up. Because I was texting with him the other day, and I was like, "Man, you having a blast?" He goes, "Yeah, man, I just saw a ten-hour film." <laughs> that does sound like him. Yeah, when I was when I was talking to him. Uh, I, I always have to check to see if this is going to be the trip where he decides to stay in France. So do us a favor, write to him, let him know that he has to come back at some point. Because it's just not the same without him. Yeah, it's kind of like when a band gets back together, but they have a different lead singer. Have you ever been to a, a concert like that? No, but I do remember the thing that always comes to mind is when um, Ozzy left Black Sabbath and was replaced by Ronnie James Dio. Mm. Yeah, That just seemed... That seemed like heresy, which I guess is in character for a band called Black Sabbath. Sure, and that's a good point. But before we go too far off the rails with this, I I gotta say, it's no ding on Dio nor on Osborne to say that they they're just not comparable. No, I mean Dio has rocked for a long, long time, but mm-hmm. now it's time for him to pass the torch back to Ozzy. And both both of these performers are legends. And speaking of fantastic segues, today's episode is about a legend. Huh? We got there. You did it, man. A legend. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. A uh, leggy legend. My girlfriend this morning called me the uh, the king of dad jokes. She did not mean it as a compliment. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with doing dad jokes. It's a niche, man. You know, uh, one which uh, we squarely occupy. And I'm proud of it. Most, I think most people make dad jokes. In fact, we're unfairly impinging upon uh, dads. I agree. Dad bod, dad joke, it's like a term of abuse. It's a very weird anti-dad yeah. thing that goes on. You know what, though? Being a dad is the only thing that got us a producer in the studio today, because today we are joined with our guest super producer, Eden Brown. Okay, I see where you're going with that. And thank you, Eden, for saving the show. So who's this alleged uh, uh, hero of today's story? Yes, this allegedly leggy legend 
better known Whoa. as Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. That is a mouthful. Allegedly leggy legend. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, man, we could do we we could do another leg of that. I think big time. <laughs> so. This guy, Santa Ana, you may have heard of him before. He was born on February 21st, 1794. And he was a tremendously influential politician and general. Uh, we, we wouldn't call him a warlord, but he knew his way around a battlefield. Over the course of his life, he would uh, rule Mexico 11 different times. Oh, yeah, world-class legalomaniac. <laughs> yeah. He, We're going to uh, keep this rolling? Uh, sure, we can. Okay. Uh, he was often described as the Napoleon of the West by himself. Yep. Also a world-class manufacturer of lore pertaining to his favorite guy, General Santa Ana. Yeah, himself. He is probably most famous, at least in the United States today, for his activity during the Texas Revolution from 1835 to 1836. Notorious sacker of the Alamo. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some Texan rebels because, as we know, Texas was uh, ruled by Mexico and Texas didn't want to do that anymore. They wanted there to be their own thing. And so uh, this a very small group of Texan rebels posted up at the Alamo, which was an old Franciscan like monastery, I believe. And they were able to fend off Santa Ana and his armies for something like 13 days, I want to say. Right. And uh, they earned this defense with blood. There were about 100 Texans that were garrisoned at the Alamo. And the Texas force grew a little bit with the reinforcements led by commanders James Bowie and William Travis. but. Wasn't Daniel Boone there, too? Yeah, there were, there were a lot of... It was like a, a Wu-Tang Clan posse track. Right, yeah. But it was, a, you know, a war. And apparently, we're supposed to remember it. And by gosh, we do. Right, right. And that's why you'll hear the battle cry, remember Goliad, remember the Alamo, uh, on, I think it was first recorded on the 21st of April in 1836. During the Battle of the Alamo, Santa Ana's forces killed 189 Texans and then later executed more than 340 prisoners. Yikes. Not a popular fellow in uh, in Texas history, as we will uh, come to discover later right. in this episode, right? Right. Not a popular fellow, but he got stuff done. It's true. He is sort of remembered similarly to Napoleon in that ultimately he ended up losing a lot of the stuff that he gained through this kind of thirst for conquest, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's an interesting part about that that it'll come into play later. I'll I'll remember to bring it up before we end the episode. So before we get to one of my favorite wars of this episode, Noel, why don't you tell us a little bit about the events that occurred after the Alamo? Well, just briefly, all those those Alamo-centric atrocities you mentioned probably really got the Texan rebels fired up, and uh, they ultimately won their independence when they defeated Santa Ana's forces during the Battle of San Jacinto on April 21st of 1836. Santa Ana and his forces were defeated, and he signed a treaty to give Texas their independence from Mexico. Right. And again, that is where the famous the famous call to arms or the famous rallying cry, remember the Alamo, originates. Santa Ana was held captive in Texas, and uh, he eventually managed to return to Mexico in 1837 after he met with U.S. President Andrew Jackson So he lived in exile. He traveled back to Mexico, a defeated man, and he needed a win, Noel. He needed something to change the winds of fortune. In 1838, he found a chance, but it was it was a very strange thing. It's one of my it's one of my favorite names in today's show. He became involved in something called the Pastry War. That's right. Um, After he sort of was able to more or less free himself from exile, he posted up in a pretty cushy hacienda in Veracruz um, where he more or less retired. And he was kind of just kicking it there, doing his thing. And then this thing called the Pastry War uh, flared up. What's the Pastry War, Ben? That sounds delicious. I'm delighted you asked. So there's another geopolitical thing going on here. 
France is super unhappy with the Mexican government at this time because they have unpaid debts that they had incurred during the Texas Revolution of 1836. And and these were quite significant debts. We're talking uh, about 600,000 pesos. So when a baker living near Mexico City, a little bit outside of it, when he... A French baker. A French baker, yes. When he claims that the Mexican army ransacked his bakery and he demands compensation uh, to the tune of, what was it, 60,000 pesos? 60,000, that's right, which was an exorbitant inflation of what the bakery was valued at, which was more in line with like 1,000 pesos. Yeah, uh, actually a little bit less, right? And the chef, whose name today we know him only as Remontel, he found uh, some very sympathetic ears in the French government because he took the case directly to the king of the time, Louis Philippe. And Louis said uh, they gave this ultimatum with this pretext for, uh, for the conflict, for the pastry war. They gave this ultimatum to Mexico and they said, all right, give us 600,000 pesos. That includes the 60,000 for this guy's pastry shop. The Mexican Congress said their version of heck no, are you crazy? And so in the spring of 1838, the French Navy began a blockade of seaports along the Gulf of Mexico. All over a one French bakery? It must have been a great bakery. Maybe. Yeah, I guess it was just kind of the, the straw that broke the, sure. the, the, the French ponies back. It was the excuse that they used. Yeah, yeah. it was the... Uh, is the string that dropped the guillotine. Exactly. It's very, very, very interesting the way these kind of powder kegs can be set off by a single event. Like the assassination of a single Archduke, Franz Ferdinand, setting mm-hmm. off, you know, all of the events that with multiple players that, that led, you know, that were World War One. That were already seething, yeah. But that's the thing. It's so interesting throughout history. You see these little kind of flashpoint moments that taken on their own, you wouldn't think would be that big a deal. Mm-hmm. But they can set off this chain reaction that becomes quite... A kerfuffle. Right. And just like the case with World War One and Franz Ferdinand, there's the question of whether it had to be these specific flashpoint events or would it have inevitably been something else? Because France was ready to go. It takes a while to get ships across the Atlantic. Yeah. They were so. steamed about that cash, mm-hmm. you know, because they're like, hey, we helped you out mm-hmm. and you failed. Yeah. Ultimately, in your endeavor um, to, uh, you know, quash these rebels mm-hmm. uh, and now pay up. And the U.S., by the way, also piled on to Mexico. They sent a schooner to assist in the blockade. This stalemate drags on and on till November 27th. And the French warships start bombarding island fortresses. Mexico officially declares war on France And within days, French Marines are raiding the city and they captured nearly the entire Mexican Navy, desperate to get these monsters out of their fair city and out of their country. Mexico turned to Santa Ana. There's a great article on history.com that goes through some of the chronology of this, and they refer to uh, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana as being a grizzled warrior. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because at this point, you know, he's had his his day, his heyday. He's already ruled, like, what, four times at this point? I, I don't know. It, it, I lose track. He keeps going into retirement, coming out of retirement, mm-hmm. going back. They, they, they keep pulling him back in, like in uh, like the Godfather movies or whatever. Yeah. And so, Or like yeah. me at a buffet. Of course, the buffet, you, you want to, like, get your fill, Ben. People are, I don't think we as a species are emotionally equipped to handle buffets. you got to keep going back to the trough. I mean, otherwise, it's a, it's a, it's a sunken cost kind of situation, right? So, yeah, but so back to this great description by Christopher Klein, right? They're writing there for history. Yeah, uh, Santa Ana was, was quite a big fan of Santa Ana and fancied himself sort of a ruler of the people. So he was all too ready Mm-hmm. to jump back into the fray and, um, you know, he really had a thirst for, like, being the guy that was going to hop back in and, and save Mexico's butt. And um, people were into it, too. Of course. So he raises his own army. He comes out and says mm-hmm. something along the lines of, I am Santa Ana. Help me defend the city from these French savages. Exactly. And they're all about it. So they're able to drive Santa Ana and his army that he forms are able to drive French forces away from the city and at least back to their ships. 
And picture this. This is one of those flashpoint moments in history. Santa Ana is on horseback. He's literally chasing these guys out of town when a cannon fires and the shot from the cannon knocks his horse out from under him and gets him in the leg. It's like, what do they call it? Grape shot? Yeah. Which is kind of like when you think of buckshot, um, buckshot, shotgun shells loaded with like these tiny little uh, ball bearings, I guess, that just kind of like spray everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. But probably larger if it's coming from a cannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a massive small metal. I mean, buckshot's a great description. It's uh, not not a good or pleasant way to go. And also often bound in canvas. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's it's ugly. It would almost be like a pipe bomb going off, you know, that's just spraying shrapnel everywhere. And it also stinks. The timing of it stinks because he pretty much won. Yeah. And there's that parting shot, sort of like in The Lord of the Rings where, spoiler alert, Gandalf manages to stop the Balrog. Mm. And then at the very end, that that crazy lava whip yep. grabs him. Yep. Pulls him down into the abyss. There you go. Gandalf, the Santa Ana of Lord of the Rings. I like that. Also very into himself, now that I think about it. It's true. But, you know, with good reason. <laughs> he earned it. I think so, too. So what happens What happens next? Well, uh, they got him out of there, right? Yeah, they got him out. But, uh, you know, we said his leg was wounded. But how, how wounded was it? Uh, very, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> they, had to, yeah, they, they, they couldn't save the leg. They could not save the leg, Ben. Um, mm-hmm. It had to come off. Yep. So he had his leg removed and he had a prosthetic built, but he was still he was still in the game. And this is this is one of the craziest parts of the story. This isn't the craziest, craziest part, but this is a strange one. So picture this. He has he has driven the French out of town, but he has not yet won the war. He's one leg down, he has a prosthetic, and he has his amputated leg, which has been with him through thick and thin. The real leg. Yeah. When it was connected to his body. The OG leg. Got it. And pay attention to that leg, because that's going to come into play later. So right now we have two legs. One is prosthetic, one is his old original leg, not attached to him. What what happens with the pastry war? Because he, he drives France out, but the conflict isn't resolved. And they I think they need some help from British diplomats. Eventually. Yeah, they help out and broker an agreement in which um, Mexican government has to pay that 600,000 peso demand uh, that the French insisted upon, including the cost of the pastry shop in question. Because that guy is still in <laughs> That's the thing that gets me. That guy still lives there. He still lives there. The chef. Yeah. I don't know. Seems like it would be a stretch. Uh, but um, the French forces take off, and everything for the most part goes back to normal. Um, but these guys are going to come to heads again later down the line. Like, yeah. I think uh, in the mid-1800s, there's another conflict. But that's that's a story for another day. Uh, Santa Ana has his OG leg buried at his hacienda in Veracruz. But there's more. Yes, there absolutely is. So now he's a, a war hero again. And he is, you know how when people first have a, a kid, every conversation inevitably turns into something about their baby. The leg he lost in the pastry war is like this baby he just had. And he's constantly reminding everyone in Mexico who will listen that he sacrificed his leg. Yeah, apparently he would hold his prosthetic leg over his head during military parades um, to remind people of the sacrifice that he made for his beloved country. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he he essentially returns back to retirement uh, after this pastry war. He did his duty. He came back out, mm-hmm. fought the good fight, mm-hmm. lost a leg. Yeah, so he would take it slow after this, right? Most people would consider that a warning sign or, you know, uh, a notification from the universe that perhaps your battle days are done. In 1842, Santa Ana is once again the president of Mexico because, as we said, he comes in and out several times. Well, yeah, according to his uh, autobiography, Santa Ana's autobiography, mm-hmm. which is just rife with hyperbole, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's called The Eagle. Yeah. Um, it was only 62 days after he lost the leg that General Guadalupe Victoria asked him, uh, at the behest of the government, 
to come back to the Capitol and said that there was a revolution brooding and that the government wanted him to take the current president, Anastasio Bustamante's place as a temporary president uh, during this difficult time. Um, And this quote just really speaks to the megalomania of this gentleman. Roll it up. How well the people knew me. They knew I would never desert my principles and would always be on hand when my country needed me. I was carried to the Capitol on a litter, like a one of those things with the sticks and the chair, right? Is that a what? Palaquin. Yeah, exactly. Like some sort of like returning uh, Greek hero or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Uh, carried to the capital on a litter. Although my trip was made with extreme care, the hardships of the journey and the change of climate weakened me. However, despite my poor health, poor guy, hmm. I assumed the office of president immediately. Yeah, he assumed the office of president. He also... There's there's some speculation that we have to engage in here, Noel. He also enjoys the uh, <laughs> enjoys the pop culture status he is acquiring in Mexico. Now he is not only a lauded general, he's not only the president, he's also a uh, a very much a celebrity. And so soon after. Santa Ana really leans into the celebrity status. He has his original, his physical leg, dug up, just take it, exhumed. Yeah, from his estate. Uh Uh-huh. And reburied, but this time buried with full military honors. Wait, for a leg? Yeah, just the leg, just the leg. Okay. But it was a really classy event, Noel. They had... They had orations. They had, um, you know, honor guards. They had cannons firing, and they had poetry performed, written exclusively for this event. In fact, ridiculous historians, we have a couple of examples of this. Oh man, Ben, are you going to do a dramatic reading? Yeah, I think you are too. All right, <laughs> I'll play. I'll play. You go first. You want to play these reindeer games? Of course. Here is uh, the English translation of a poem titled "Sonnet." And uh, we'll just... Is it a sonnet or a poem? (laughs) The name of this piece is Sonnet. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Such complete triumph. What victory, admirable Santa Anna, you have attained. Politics, management, all has changed. Valiant, liberal, for your glory. Tremble, Scottish right, and enter the dross. Consume yourself for all you have lost. Do not dare look upon the illustrious hero. Be off. We want no memory of you. Come, holy liberty, come and rest from your toils. What do you have to fear from the tyrants if the free man gives his life for you? To God we have sworn as brothers that those that have oppressed you, we Mexicans must wake war upon him. All right, Ben. You've ticked the uh, poetry box beautifully, might I add. I'm going to give you sort of a little soliloquy, I guess, kind of just almost a um, oration. Mm -hmm. A A, uh, a eulogy. Yes, exactly. A eulogy to the leg. Why should anyone criticize of a funeral performed for the foot, arm, or hair of an illustrious general? Passions always tarnish merit with malevolence and really do not wish true merit celebrated. So answer quickly and with confidence. Why should we not honor merit in the lifeless limb of a great and heroic causio, which uh, was the um, Spanish word for a military hero or official? Why should anyone criticize? To make this fitting obloquy to a sacrificed limb, not to the man, but to what he has given fearlessly for the fatherland. It would be unjust, ungrateful, foolish, and disloyal to claim it is not lawful or right that a lone foot have a tomb or mausoleum that a funeral is performed. I'm going to skip to the last line. Well, quick interjection. Obloquy is uh, public criticism or verbal abuse. So you're saying it's ridiculous for people to say anything bad about this foot. Ah, the man himself. Why would you? This, I mean, he, he's he's obviously earned it. But I'm I'm know? in this moment. Come oh, on, I'm, wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna skip a little bit. Um, the last line is what I think uh, is really really what sews it up. Did Artemisia not hide the ashes of Mausolus in her breast? Uh, Mausolus being a ruler in the fourth century who basically uh, created the notion of a mausoleum or a giant ornate tomb that he had erected for himself. Uh, but I shall continue. And believe this the only remedy. Here's where it gets good. She did her duty. So today, Mexico erects a tomb reaching to the sky, covering with ardent hope a jewel of history and giving glory to the foot, arm, or hair. 
uh, we can go ahead and do the polite open mic poetry slam finger clap, which is just snapping your fingers. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's true. He buried his leg. He reburied it, rather. It was, it was in, in a crystal vase? It was a tremendously ornate event. Yeah. yeah. And people were into it. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. The thing about being the top dog, however, is that when you're in this king of the hill situation, you don't have a lot of stability. In 1844, public opinion turned against the president. People tore down the statues of him they dug his leg up again. Yeah, and then they drag it through the streets, yes. chanting, was death, it death, death to, to the, the cripple, cripple. Oh. which is ugly. What, right? did he, what did he do to, 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 to earn that kind of public ire? Well, it appears that he ruled in a much more dictatorial style. Hmm. Imagine that. Yeah. The Napoleon of the West. So they jailed dissidents to... To suppress opposition. Uh, okay. You know, there's not a free press. Uh, 
he led some unpopular campaigns. He wasn't able to control the elections of 1842, and a lot of the folks who were elected at that time were vigorously against the kind of policies he was pursuing. He also raised taxes. It's always a dicey move if you're at the levers of power. Several Mexican states just stopped dealing with the central government. They declared themselves independent. So eventually, he tries to flee the country in December of 1844, but he is unsuccessful. He is apprehended uh, near Zico, Veracruz, and he is imprisoned. He is exiled to Cuba. When is this? It's January of 1845 when he's caught. Oh, okay. So I think what happened was when the tide of public opinion turned against him, it was basically a full rebellion. And he did his damnedest to squash this rebellion, but it obviously did not work out for him. And he ended up being exiled, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But during this time, there's a quote from his autobiography um, that I just love. He says this, speaking of um, criticism or mockery uh, of his fake leg. He says, stop. I don't wish to hear any more. Almighty God, a member of my body, lost in the service of my country, dragged from the funeral urn, broken into bits to be made sport of in such a barbaric manner. Boy, you're laying it on thick there. Yeah, has the benefit of writing from retrospect. And, of course, everybody's the main character of their own story, right? So that's kind of where we lose track of the real leg. Mm -hmm. But this is sort of just the beginning of the story. Of the fake leg. This is the that that was the first leg of the episode. This is the second leg oh of the my episode. Gosh, ben. Yeah, thank you for bringing it back. Here we are. So he would die. One would imagine in exile in Cuba. However, that is not what happened. You see, the United States declared war against Mexico in 1846, and this famous one-legged general is called back to serve his country in the Mexican-American War. And just keep pulling him back. Yep. And so, during the Battle of Cerro Gordo in 1847, another leg-related incident occurs. And, Noel, you wanted to explore this uh, historical event through the use of a clip, an excerpt from a show that you say is very important important and personally close to you, that is King of the Hill. Yeah, King of the Hill is my happy place show. Uh, I'm really sad that it's not on any of the streaming services anymore, but I was able to dig this up from a DVD uh, that I have of this particular season. The episode is called The Final Shinsult, um, and it opens with Peggy Hill uh, as a substitute teacher, because as we know, that's what Peggy Hill does, um, of her son Bobby's history class, Texas history. And they're doing a little play that uh, sums up this this very event. So you can just play it, right? Yeah, let's do it. Now, in preparation for our field trip, your classmates are going to act out a little-known episode of Mexican-American history. The year is 1847. I am General Santa Ana. I led the Mexican army at the Elmo, where we defeated Texas. Uh. <laughs> We are at the Battle of Cerro Gordo 11 years later, and we are hungry. Sir, I will hold your artificial leg while you eat chicken. Attack. Look out! It's the Illinois Volunteer Infantry. Hop on, General. I stole your fake leg. Oh, well, that was beautiful. That was just inspired. So, yeah, I mean, need we say more? I guess not. So there's a little artistic license with that particular clip, but the way I've read it is that Santa Ana knew that the Illinois um, soldiers were approaching and hastily retreated, leaving his carriage abandoned, complete with his half-eaten roasted chicken, about $18,000 in gold. Yeah, in gold. And one more thing. Yep. His fake leg. So this prosthetic leg becomes a trophy piece. People were flocking to county fairs to pay a little bit of money to get a peek at this relic. And eventually, it fell into the possession of the Illinois State Military Museum. Yeah, because I guess they were the ones, the, the, you know, the soldiers from Illinois were the ones that, what, what got it. 
it seems a little odd, though, that it would end up in Illinois, considering that Texas um, had much more of a close connection with with General Santa Ana and his memorabilia, right? Right. And in the recent years, even unto the modern day, this possession of Santa Ana's leg has become controversial. So in Texas, in the modern day, several groups of people are petitioning Illinois to return the leg, the prosthetic leg of Santa Ana to Texas. Uh, You can read about this in the Chicago Tribune. You can read about this uh, in the museum site itself. But it does seem unusual, doesn't it, that it would end up in Illinois of all places simply because the people who originally captured the leg were themselves from Illinois. It's true. Um, it's actually this there's a museum in, in Texas called the San Jacinto Museum of History that has tons of Santa Ana memorabilia. Um, they have like a glove uh, and they have like silverware that he left behind during the Battle of San Jacinto, um, plates. All kinds of things related to this historical figure. But what they don't have uh, and would very much like to have is that fake leg. But uh, Illinois is not giving it up anytime soon. No, unfortunately for the people who wish to see it returned, the directors, the management of both the museum and the Illinois Department of Military Affairs are not budging. Uh, Colonel Brad Layton, the public affairs director of the Illinois Department of Military Affairs, as recently as 2016 said, when asked if they would ever return this leg to Texas, he said, the answer is no. We paid for that leg with Illinois blood. And so, Noel, there's another quote that you found from the same King of the Hill episode, uh, The Final Shinsult. And in this clip, uh, we can see this clip's a little bit different because they're taking a uh, sort of an alternative universe approach, but we can see how many people would react to the mention of Santa Ana's leg. Especially a grizzled Texas war hero like uh, Grandpa Hill, Cotton, one of my favorite characters in the show. Here we go. Uh, Hank, that reminds me. Uh, we need some chaperones for Bobby's class trip. What kind of trip you taking, Bobby? Vegas? There's a General Santa Ana exhibit at the museum. We did a play about him in school, and I was one of his privates. Yeah, yeah, I know all about Santa Ana. We got his walking log under glass in Illinois, I'm glad to say. Actually, Cotton, the leg is coming through Arlen. America is finally returning the leg to Mexico. What? Uh, take it easy, uh, Dad. <laughs> take it easy. You see, Bobby, your daddy's generation's giving away everything we fought for. Penny Maw Canal, Mexican legs. You people give back Gandhi's diapers that you had them. And while the real life prosthetic is not traveling to Mexico, or at least not as we record this, uh, the clip does a, a decent job of depicting the emotions involved. And now the leg still remains in Illinois, and the people who could return it to Texas are categorically against it. So it looks set to stay there. Yeah, it's also Mexico wants it back. Uh, All the while, um, Santa Ana, even during his life, was was petitioning to get it back, and Mexico has continued to ask for it back. You can kind of see why Illinois would be so fond of the leg. Um, They went so far as to name... Uh, one of their cities after the Battle of Cerro Gordo, which took place in Mexico. Um, Cerro Gordo, which means Fat Hill. Right, yeah. And at this point, you're probably wondering what happens to Santa Ana after he has lost his leg that he spends, you know, uh, much of his later life petitioning to, <laughs> to have returned. From 1855 to 1874, he lived in exile in various parts of the world, in Cuba, Colombia, the United States, the island of St. Thomas. A lot of Napoleon uh, analogs here. Right, right, like St. Helena and Elba. He had left, he being Santa Ana, had left Mexico due to his unpopularity after his defeat in 1848. He participated in different gambling businesses and uh, other industries, hoping that he would become rich. Oh, we didn't even talk about his marriages. Did you know what he, he had a habit of marrying wealthy teenage women for the 
for the financial benefits. Like heiresses? Kind of, yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the one of the legends is that during one of his weddings, he didn't show up to the ceremonies. What a piece of work. <laughs> I guess he was busy. He could work it. I mean, you know, everybody knows scheduling is tough yeah. for anything. Well. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So one of the things he did in his later life in the 1850s, he brought the first shipment of chicle to New York. Chicle is the, the gum? Yeah. Really? He helped introduce chewing gum to the United States. He originally intended it to be used in tires, which makes sense, you know, at the time. But he had hoped that he could hang out with his friend, an uh, inventor named Thomas Adams, and create a rubber substitute, which a lot of people were looking for in this day and age. And unfortunately, they could not use the chicle in that in that application. However, Adams figured out that if he added flavorings and sweeteners to the plant, to the chicle, he could create, quote, rubber chewing gum. 
and the company that Adams started would become one of the largest in the United States, rivaled only by that of William Wrigley Jr., of mm. Wrigley Gum. Yeah, I like a good juicy fruit. Yeah, oddly enough, I don't know if we've mentioned it on this show, but you know Juicy Fruit is an entirely manufactured flavor. It sure. doesn't exist doesn't in the wild. It doesn't taste like anything. Doesn't taste yeah, like, yeah. They <laughs> made it up synthetically, and that's why it's not... That's why it is not tied to any specific fruit flavor. Yeah, but it's still, you know, it has the waft of a fruit-like flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, last thing, only because we we skipped it. We probably should have brought this up earlier. Apparently, the Illinois Infantry, the 4th Illinois Infantry, actually captured an additional um, Santa Ana leg. That's true, yes. Yeah, yeah we should mention that. Yeah, because the, the one that people think about and get all worked up about uh, is, you know, the full Monty cork manufactured prosthetic. But that one would have been probably a little more difficult to put on. So as a secondary, as a backup, he also had something of a more humble peg leg. Uh, and apparently Lieutenant Abner Doubleday liked to use it as a baseball bat. And it's on display right here in our town of Atlanta, Decatur, in fact, um, at the former governor's mansion, Oglesby Mansion. Mm-hmm. So we should check that out. We should do a field trip. And we should also bid adieu to... Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. What a winding and twisted story this one was. Now, there is a good there is a good ending, at least on a personal level. In 1874, under the terms of a general amnesty, he was able to return home to Mexico. His vision had deteriorated to a extreme degree due to the development of cataracts. He was largely dismissed or ignored by the government of the time and uh, he hadn't been in politics since 1855 eventually he passed away at his home in mexico city in 1876 at the age of 82 he was buried in a glass coffin that's cool like snow white mm-hmm. yeah. and, and imagine you know for someone who lives a such a violent life in war it's it's kind of like winning the lottery to die in peace at your own home. Not to mention at 82, yeah. the life expectancy back in those days was was not uh, not near that. And to have, you know... Life expectancy for soldiers. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah, but just in general, right? I mean, you know, pretty pretty impressive that he, that he made it that far uh, and had gone through so much intense stuff. Um, but yeah, that's not that's, it's not a happy ending exactly, but it's, it's a little dignity for this maverick-y, uh, complex peacock of a man. Yeah, it's it's bittersweet, but it is peaceful. And that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You can't be angry at that. However, however, you can visit uh, Illinois, you can visit Atlanta, and you can see these legs in person if you would like to check out, at least in the case of Illinois, a relic that traveled the United States as a tourist attraction. If you do happen to go there, please send us some photos. I would like to see it if you if you could take a selfie in front of the leg. And I you know, this brings us back to the earlier question that we explored in the corpses in the diorama episode, which is about ownership and ethics in museum collections. What do you think, folks? Should Illinois retain possession of this leg. Does it belong in Mexico? Does it belong in Texas? Does it belong somewhere else? And if so, why? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can check out our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians, where you can meet your fellow listeners. And you can also find uh, myself. You can find Casey. You can find Noel uh, jumping in, commenting on some threads. We lurk. I still haven't posted. Uh, I still haven't posted a response to his favorite historical jerk. And apparently, we're going to get some glamour shots of Casey during his lucrative child modeling career uh, when he returns from France, which is a true story. <laughs> I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see who his fake dad is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's gonna. That's a thing. He yeah. was telling us about that off air. Uh, so. Thank you, as always, very much for listening. Thank you to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thank you to our guest producer, Eden Brown. Give me a high five. Hear that? (laughs) We'll fix it in post. No, that's good. That was the sound of camaraderie. 
And of course, thank you to Alex Williams, who composed our track. Thank you to our awesome researcher, Christopher Hasiotis. And thank you to you for being you and being the best you that you can possibly be in listening to Ridiculous History. Um, join us next time where we talk about a crime-fighting gorilla in Johannesburg, South Africa. Just going to leave it right there. See you then. Let's play out with some old uh, Home on the Range music. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.